Live from the Talking Joe Studios. It's Talking Joe. Talking Joe Weekly Podcast. Talking Joe is there. Talking Joe thought we would last. Talking Joe is there. Find each other like a married couple. A podcast on the air. Talking Joe is there. Talking Joe is the codename for a completely untrained special podcast force. Its purpose, to produce a regular comic review show while breaking and replacing a series of presenters from across the world. Talking Joe is on the air. (laughs) Hey, hey, you, you. I don't like your girlfriend. Uh, It's me, Mark, and welcome to Talking Joe, the best and longest running dedicated G.I. Joe podcast that features a guy called Mark, who happens to be from England. Uh, the other ones are also fine. Um, you can find out the details about this specific podcast over at our website, which is talkingjoe.co.uk. Today, we are continuing our look at the G.I. Joe disavowed era with two issues from 2003. It is issue 17 and 18 of G.I. Joe Frontline 2 one part issues uh so with that preamble done let me introduce my co-hosts first up we have a real american tim it's tim finn hello mark and hello listeners hello tim and next up we have gij it's jay cordray howdy joe fans hi mark hi tim who's ready to talk about push-ups and dog vomit <laughs> Two of my favorite topics. Actually, fun fun fact. Uh, Devil's Due was considering collecting these two issues in a $5.95 uh, like two-in-one, and that was going to be the subtitle. G.I. <laughs> Joe, push-ups and dog vomit. $5.95. Those would be great code names as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> That one we can put that in our in our in our file of ones we've designed along with uh, the Dreadnought brand. Remember <laughs> yeah. that guy? Exactly. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, some they would that yeah, that would yeah. be a good Dreadnought. Yeah, good Dreadnought. Dog. Dreadnought's nice. merchandising officer nice. guy. <laughs> like, I don't know. Uh, and before we get too much into it, I just want to say uh, to to Tim and to Jay who hasn't listened to it now but will have done by the time this is out. How good was that Billy Penn episode where we talked to him about uh, issue 287? There's a guy who loves G.I. Joe. And talking, which is <laughs> quite a recipe when you put several people in a virtual recording studio who all like G.I. Joe and like talking. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, uh, so that's uh, split into two. That one uh, and lots of uh, yeah, lots of fun uh, finding out real behind the scenes uh, world of of someone that that loves GI Joe, sort of pursuing an art career, getting uh, to draw an issue of GI Joe, and uh, see you know see how the the thing is made. And uh, uh, um, he teased at the end uh, that he would he was doing something else for GI Joe, and we now know what it is. It is a variant cover for the new G.I. Joe Saturday Morning, what's the subtitle? Saturday Morning Adventures? Saturday Morning something, yeah. G.I. Joe, Real American Hero, Saturday Morning Adventures comic book series that IDW will be publishing next year. Billy Penn is doing a variant cover for, I believe, issue one. Yeah, exciting uh, Exciting to have 
IDW pull that out of the bag as well and announce a, a brand new comic series. Uh, look forward to seeing how that that turns out with um, Dan Shoning, friend of the show, on lead art duties, uh, following up his uh, his great Arctic adventure uh, from a few months ago. So Cobra Commander gets Aladdin's lamp. That's straight out of the Saturday morning cartoon. I can't wait to read that one. I, I just I just want to point out, G.I. Joe was not on Saturday mornings. G.I. Joe was syndicated. Right, right, right. Every like, weekday. Like, hey, everyone, as a, as a, as a generic subtitle for this, yeah. sure. G.I. Joe was stripped immediately from the beginning. It was a five-part miniseries, Monday through Friday. And then the next year, it was a five-part miniseries, Monday through Friday. And then the next year... There were 65 episodes and it just aired Monday through Friday. Transformers, its first season, was on the weekends. I think in oh. most markets on Sundays. So, yes, as a very general, like, like when in the 80s were cartoons on yeah. Saturday mornings, yes, G.I. Joe was, was not a Saturday morning cartoon. Well, mm. I guess weekday afternoon adventures doesn't have that same ring to it. <laughs> Monday to Friday adventures. Yeah. I mean, you'd call it G.I. Joe animated adventures. That yeah. would yeah. be, that that seems would be like the title. A no-brainer. Also... Saturday morning adventure is not bad, but it's three words, and you you could shave that down to two. Let's talk about Frontline. <laughs> speaking also, what, speaking what of a, shaving things down to two, there are only two issues left in Frontline for us to review. I can't believe there it. are last two, and uh, yeah, rattling through the final two issues of Frontline. Frontline, Frontline, Frontline. They're stalking behind comic scenes, behind the comic scenes. Mark, Jay, and Tim, it's the spin-off that has survived. There's no yawning to find the meaning. Is it good? Is it shite? G.I. Joe, Frontline on. Talking Joe. Well, G.I. Joe, Frontline on. Talking Joe. G.I. Joe, Frontline on. Talking Joe. Well, G.I. Joe, Frontline on. Talking Joe. Uh, first out the gate, it's issue 17, Training Day, from November 2003. The creative team are Story, Paul Jenkins, Pencils, Tim Seeley, Inks, Corey Hampshire, Colours, David Messina and Federica Manfredi, Letters, Dreamer Design, Graphic Design, as always, Mike Norton. Let's have a look at the covers in the gallery. So we've got two covers for this issue. Cover A is a more painterly uh, effort from Jason Alexander. And uh, cover B is a uh, back and front uh, gatefold cover. Is it called gatefold when it's back and front? Or am I, that's a fold out one. Um, Anyways, wraparound cover. Thanks, Tim. By Tim Seeley of... Beachhead on the front and green shirts on the back. Quite different covers. Jay, what do you think? The beachhead cover, uh, the painted one, I kind of like it. It's a little rough. It makes me think of um, Kent Williams. I'm not sure if Jason mm-hmm. Alexander. The name's familiar, but I don't think of maybe Spawn. Did he do some Spawn work? Don't know, but I, I, yeah, I get he, the Kent Williams reference. It's a, Yeah, it's, yeah, it, it's it looks one. a lot like Kent Williams to me. I really like the pose. That, that hand and and man, the proportion and stuff on on his uh, on that arm that's pointing to you—it's it's a lot more closer to to his body than um, you know than maybe it should be. But just as far as the the drawing of the hand and the the knuckles and the the finger shapes and stuff are all really nice. Thumbs a little thin, but I mean that's just something that as an artist I know is hard to do. 
I, yeah, I, I kind of like the colors. You know, it's 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 kind of muddy, but um, it's all muddy. You know, it's not like oh, part of it is this way and part of it is this way, which we see sometimes. Uh, I I like it. I mean, I hate Beachhead's outfit, and I'm gonna complain about that more than once. But uh, yeah, other other than uh, than that, I really like that cover. And and I, and and I guess the pose is meant to bring to mind the Uncle Sam. Yeah, I want you for the U.S. Army pose. So yeah, very very much in, in sort of calling that uh, to mind. I think it, it almost though makes me think of uh, the earliest um, frontline covers by Dave Dorman. Tim said there was a lot of empty space, and it was almost like they were designed to be magazine covers where you would have all kinds of text around the person's head and stuff. And I feel like this one could easily fall right into that mode. That this could be slapped on a, you know, GI Joe bi-monthly magazine or whatever and then fill that you know all above the stars and and the red and white stripes and you know you could load that up with text if you if you really wanted to i i wouldn't want him to but yeah you could i could see an editor doing it um jason alexander uh is credited nowadays as jason sean alexander mm, and he mm-hmm. draws and i'm guessing co-owns uh the monthly image series Philadelphia, and has has recently uh, done work for Spawn. Uh, yeah, I, uh, covers. I that he did quite a few issues of Spawn. Um, all right, so GI Joe Frontline Seventeen cover B has uh, Beachhead on the front cover, holding two pistols with his back against a section of concrete wall, and sort of over his shoulder in the distance are a couple silhouettes coming at us uh, with machine guns, and then uh, you realize that it is also a wraparound cover, and there are four other people sort of on our side of this fight with beachhead and it's it's these green shirts and when i open it as a cover and back cover i like it more because uh there's uh, more variety in color and separation of elements like foreground extreme foregr- uh, foreground with these five joes and these sections of wall and then sort of background right with this distant space these people coming at us and the sky as just a cover by itself looking just i read half the comic before i realized that the cover wrapped around and the whole time i was thinking this is not a very exciting cover because for two reasons one the colors on beachhead are similar both in hue and also in value to the concrete that he's leaning against uh so he doesn't really pop out from them right like yes the the concrete's a little bit cooler he's a little bit warmer and the colors are not exact but uh there's not a lot of drama in the color work on this cover also you know my criticism of tim seeley going back several episodes when he was doing earlier work on on gi joe and also when there was an issue of gi joe that had a, a preview of his other series for devils to Kilgore. my comment was that seeley's art looks like he learned how to draw by looking at comics much more than he did by learning how to look at real things like cars and trees and people uh, in real life. And I see that very much on this cover. These these two and a half silhouettes on the right side of the cover, above the word line for frontline, these, these two silhouettes, they look like these people are in zero gravity. Like the actual pose, these two poses don't have any weight or heft to them. They don't look like they're running. And the person on the left looks like they would fall over. It's like, no, you actually can't stand or run uh, with that pose. And if it, if it sounds like I'm nitpicking, like, you know, what's really actually like 
5% of the front cover and like 2% of the full front cover, back cover. Yes, that, that is a nitpick, but it, it is a, it's a representation of a weakness I see in most of Tim Seeley's art where, yes, a person in the background in silhouette, even that's not convincing to me. But in terms of, you know, like faces and clothes and like guns, like can he draw? Yes. But I find this cover, uh, I agree with uh, with Jay. I don't, I don't really like this beachhead costume. You know, at least they've kept sort of the iconic thing, which is the the ski mask, right? It's like, whatever you do with, with beachhead, right? Like give him a ski mask. And then like sort of secondarily, what are the other things? Like, okay, we'll give him a ski mask. He needs to be in green, but like a certain green. Short sleeves or long sleeves, you know, like different kinds of pants, different kinds of boots. It's like, well, he needs some something on his chest, right? It's like, I, I wouldn't ever give Beachhead like Shipwrecks shirt from 1985 in green. You know, it's like he needs stuff uh, on his chest. So he does have that, but there's this sort of, this, this design is you know, like the, the shoulder pads feel more super heroic and then the sort of armor on the front doesn't uh, have any heft to it. So uh, like Beachhead is a badass. Like in, in, in 86 on the show, in the movie, that scene that everyone loves where he's dressing down the new recruits, right? His action figure, it's a Hector Garrido painting. And he's a badass in this comic in story, but he never really looks like a badass. And that starts with this um, cover B. And then this cover B costume and, and reflected inside the issue when he's on the on the mission it's uh, based on the version 4 design of the character from 2002 which was released with Dr. Mindbender as the G.I. Joe versus Cobra line so so very much following that design pretty closely um, including like the knee pads and, and that kind of thing what is curious as well is that they use two designs on the interior of the story uh, with the second design when he's doing the the training flashbacks being a, a different design, which is the Devil's Dew design, which is the one that features in their battle lines pin up. The, the other observation I had about this cover is um, sort of some, something uh, around Tim Seeley's art as, as well, which is that often he'll have things quite straight on in such a way that he doesn't really need to lean too much into, you know, perspective skills. And uh, and that, that scene in Beachhead's dual-wielding pistols, both of those are completely flat so that we're not seeing, uh, you know, the the top or the the sides of the, the guns. Also, the the two green shirts immediately to his his left, again, those are completely uh, sort of flat to the, to the pane of the cover so that we're only seeing the side of the, the guns. I'm gonna I'm gonna give everyone a peek behind the curtain. When you draw GI Joe characters and you have to draw particular weapons or vehicles, if you can get away with uh, tracing a photo of a real world weapon or a like photo of a not real world GI Joe vehicle, if you can if you can pose your character so that they are holding a weapon, so that it is in profile and you don't have to draw it in perspective. You save time. And I never really thought about that until Cobrember last year when I did it a few times. And uh, I was thinking of this just yesterday. And and uh, Mark's comment just now uh, reminds me of this. So uh, I, I do give every G.I. Joe artist some leeway to draw a couple guns, machine guns and vehicles in profile uh, to save time. 
So this one, I would I would split either way. It's like, oh, I'll give Tim Seeley a break here. Or like, oh, Tim Seeley, like one more thing about the art where I feel like he could like push more and work a little harder. Okay, let's uh, push on past the covers and into the plot. Jay, do you have a plot breakdown for us? I do indeed. In an undisclosed location, G.I. Joe Sergeant Major Wayne Sneeden, a.k.a. Beachhead, is leading a group of potential Joe recruits through a very realistic training exercise. Beachhead and the recruits are being pursued by a large group of enemy hostiles. Beachhead tells the recruits to head to a large brick building and get inside. One of the recruits is shot in the leg before making it to the building, and another recruit wants to go back for him, but Beachhead tells her to leave him. As the Joes pile into an elevator, one of the recruits who, for the purpose of this exercise, is known only as Four, flashes back to his first day of training under Beachhead, when Beachhead made him do 50 push-ups for giving him a wrong answer. Four recalls the punishment Beachhead doled out on the recruits, who were certain he was actually trying to kill them. Four hates Beachhead. Beachhead stops the elevator on the 18th floor of a six-story building and leads the recruits as they zip line to the roof of the prison next door, hurling insults at them along the way. Four thinks Beachhead is a lunatic and he swears to himself he'll kill him if they make him out alive. Beachhead leads the recruits down into the prison. The recruits ask Beachhead why he led them into the prison. He tells them the enemy would not have killed their fallen friend, rather they would have taken him to be interrogated in the prison. Beachhead and the recruits rescue their friend and call for an extraction. During the firefight, Four's gun jams and Beachhead tells him he's an idiot and to do 50 push-ups. With bullets flying past his ears, Four thinks he's a dead man. As the recruits board the G.I. Joe helicopter, Beachhead is shot and falls. He yells at the recruits to continue the mission, leave him behind. Four jumps out of the helicopter and goes back for him. The Joe's helicopter takes off just in time. Four asks Beachhead if he is okay. Beachhead says Four disobeyed a direct order and tells him to do 50 push-ups. He's a tough cookie, that Beachhead. So so I guess the, the most significant thing about this issue is that it's really shining the spotlight on Beachhead as a fan favorite character i think you know that mask those appearances in the cartoon that that cool figure it, it means it means that beachhead is people a lot of people's favorite or, or a lot of people um you know high up on on the list of, of favorites anyway and i don't think there's been an issue prior to this point where beachhead has really been given a lot of solo time in the gi joe comics so it's kind of the first time that that He's really had a lot of time on these pages to kind of really just show him uh, doing his thing. Yeah, there are three or four scenes in the first 25 issues of the main Devil Stew G.I. Joe monthly series where Beachhead does the Beachhead thing. It's giving some recruits a hard time or he's being a real tough cookie. And I appreciate a full issue for him to not just be hard on recruits, but also to be you know, like a just a very a, a capable uh, Joe who who succeeds on a mission because those scenes that we've seen in the Devil's Do Run so far, they're fun and they are uh, like fair portrayals of his character. But like a, they leave us wanting more, and b, if that's all we ever get out of Beachhead, they start to become this like recurring sort of like joke. Not that he's a joke, but it's sort of like. Yep, we're going to check back in with Beachhead being mean to recruits like that scene in the animated movie. But, you know, every Joe is much more than the like one really funny line in their action figure dossier. Like Beachhead stinks because he doesn't bathe or 
uh like the one thing that they most remember we most remember from the cartoon you know like like roadblock rhymes or shipwreck has a bird it's like no no no. shipwreck is like a (laughs) navy seal like there's all these things he can do i'd like to see beachhead out on more missions like you said almost every time they've used him it's just been as a drill instructor and it's like this guy's one of easily the top 10 most badass joes he should be out on the field all the time i mean you know, you got other people, Brennan Fraser or whoever, come in and train these guys. Uh, but but let Beachhead get out and do what he does best. <laughs> yeah, was it Sergeant Stone? Who, whoever that was? Yeah, um, whoever that was. That guy. Sergeant Slaughter Light. My, my two sort of uh, top-down reactions to this issue are that I think Paul Jenkins pulled off a, a good dramatic satisfying story in i'm guessing it's 22 pages i haven't counted but all the devil's do page uh, stories are 22 pages and that i really didn't like it on page four and five when beachhead says leave your comrade we're moving on and i was very glad later in the story when you know one of the characters knows more than we do and it was his plan to go back for that character. And that gets to be a surprise both for the recruit who's questioning him and narrating the story and uh, also for us. And, and I have been hard on Tim Seeley in the past. And uh, there are, there are some things about this issue that I think could, could be improved, but overall this in terms of drawing and storytelling, this is a handsome issue. There, there are, there are some panels and pages that could be stronger, um, but Seeley you know, he draws everyone in this like post J. Scott Campbell, like appealing sort of comic book adventure style, cartoony style. And uh, he, you know, he gets he gets the action. He gets uh, the guns and, you know, some uh, he gets perspective. So overall, I thought the issue was was good. I, w- I do want to point out one of the color artists, David Messina. David Messina is the David Messina of of comic books. Right. This isn't this isn't some like random like person who colors at a studio and we mostly know the name of the studio. And occasionally they credit two or ten people who do all the actual work at the coloring or lettering studio. David Messina drew issue 252 of G.I. Joe, Real American Hero, the the Baroness uh, spotlight issue. David Messina has drawn some Star Trek comics for IDW like he's. He went from coloring this issue to doing other work in comics, including including penciling an issue of GI Joe. Yeah, I think the the colors on this issue, you know, look good and, and sort of in comparison to, to most of the other issues, fare well by by com- comparison and um, you know giving a sense of of the location of, of tone of you know mood. You know, using reds in the background to indicate you know place, but also guess peril or you know that that kind of thing there was a there was a point that i wanted to, to guess follow up on in, in terms of the art and also that that story point of leaving someone bit behind that um tim seeley's art is is generally very solid and it's a i think a good looking issue where i think there's maybe the it's slightly misjudged is in terms of how he draws the enemy combatants in the in the issue where they are sort of drawn as a a somewhat comedic cartoonish mob with literal pitchforks and and torches sort of coming after them there's a there's a recurring character 
who sort of looks like a, a GI wrapped in uh, wrapped in bandages, like a bit of a sort of a Frankenstein-ish looking looking character. And that kind of braying mob coming after them somewhat undermines that key plot point of Beachhead leaving a man behind and then coming back to rescue him on the basis that uh, their procedure manual would indicate that they would capture them and then bring them back to the base for, for questioning. But that braying mob doesn't really look like the kind of competents who are going to thoroughly read the, the, the fine print of a procedure manual and follow it to the T. So I, I, I thought about the, the bad guys here, right? And we, they, they get a splash page. Uh, page three of the story is when we see them for the first time. They get entirely half of the page, which is a, an over-the-shoulder shot from three, right? Three is three. Three is the main character. They left behind four, or vice versa. No, four is the main character. They left behind three. Thank you. Um, all right, so so we are four in this story. So Mark, I wonder if Paul Jenkins' script calls for pitchforks and uh, uh, torches, and I also imagine that his his plot script for page three describes this villain this adversarial mob or army as like uh sort of half like villagers citizens of this city ex-military military like did uh organized but not formally organized you know they're not all wearing the same uniform they're not wearing uniforms they have different weapons so i wonder how much of this we pin on Tim Seeley's slight cartooning in faces and like that one bandaged uh, guy and how much we pin this on him following what the um, plot calls for. I do think, I do think very subtly Seeley's art is slightly miscast for this story. And I, I try and save that term for much sort of stronger more obvious like mismatches and i think i've mentioned this on an episode before for me the like like a, a very prime example of like a miss a miscast artist is uh and this is a marvel not a gi joe example when matt fraction took over two fantastic four monthly comics and they were both like weird adventure and mike already drew one of them and mark bagley drew the other and i don't think mark bagley was the right artist for that run uh, I think like Celia's a Joe fan. He had worked on Joe before. Devil's Do has like a very small like in-house talent pool. Celia can draw Beachhead and these five uh, green shirts, but there's a subtle um, softness and like appeal and friendliness to how he draws faces. You know, his like his it's these like J. Scott Campbell eyes and and faces and chins. Uh, uh, Tim Seeley's art is not gritty. You know, this is not like Ron Wagner. This is not uh, Joe Kubert didn't draw a regular GI Joe, right? He he worked on Sergeant Savage, but you know, there, there's no grit here. This is this is like pretty, and and there's a, a slickness to it, which is you know like what a lot of comics wanted in 2003. I'll comment on the art here in a second, but I have a question for you guys, and maybe you can help me out. I read this twice, and I'm still not 100 percent sure. Is this a real mission? Like, are those <laughs> real villagers and stuff? Because I, I was like, wow, that guy got just got shot. And, you know, they're talking about, you know, oh, they, they killed three and all this stuff. And you got all these people coming out. And you get to this page and I'm looking at it and I was like, oh, that's a bunch of Joes, like disguised as, you know, the, 
whatever shipwrecks right there in front uh you know you could pick out other ones there's like four snake eyes like uh like mark said so i'm just not clear uh is everybody in on this or is this a real mission this is a good point because after they left three i thought oh is is this is this gonna you know is this like the kobayashi maru like in a couple pages is someone gonna push a button and like beachhead takes his mask off and he like walks into another room and like Duke and Hawk are watching from a computer screen. And like, as Jay just said, like the bad guys are actually like sort of actors or something. And three didn't really get shot. Three got fake shot to stress out and to test one, two, four, and five. Um, This leads me to a slightly different question. Uh, On the second to last page, everyone's on the chopper. And then on the final page, it's cropped badly. But on the top panel, the the two choppers do get away from the roof of the building as the tank is hitting the roof of the building. And then in panel two, you very much see that the choppers are like in the distance and the tank is not turning to also shoot them down. And then the choppers do get away. And I, and I thought, well, this is a, this is a satisfying 22 pages. And the, the, the comment that I wrote was um, the, the story here is tight as a drum, but to Jay's question, I then wondered Wait, what's the mission? Is are they? Yeah, because was, he was like, they say, oh, we we've rescued our objective or whatever, and then it's like, well, what was your objective? Was your yeah. objective three that got uh, shot that you right, wouldn't have did, known? I mean, it was like watching the Star Wars prequels where everything that happens, Palpatine goes, yes, I wanted that to happen. It's like you that doesn't make any <laughs> sense that you would want that to happen. You're counting on this person doing something and this person doing something and this person doing something to come back to your original plan. It's like no. Beachhead wouldn't leave a guy in the field. He'd leave a guy in a training exercise where he knew he wasn't going to get killed. But like you said earlier, for for Beachhead to assume that um, the angry mob is not going to kill him because they don't know who he is, is um, laughable. I mean, mean, it's not going to happen. All right. So are we we three in agreement? There's something missing. There's like one line of dialogue or one of the five green shirts needs to be holding something like a file, like a folder, uh, a disc, a little like uh, pouch, something like or there needs to be another person that they're dragging along. They've like rescued some intelligence officer or um, like kidnappy like. It's, we don't need to know a lot about what the mission was. And one sentence of Beachhead dialogue or narration from four could probably do it. But I do feel that there's a, a story, sort of a logical beat or like piece of information that's missing here. Yeah, yeah I, think you're, I, think so. I think you're right. Um, there, there's in the, in, somewhere in the middle of the book where they're sort of repelling from one roof to another, there's a box that said, uh, like I said before, the Joe's idea of a training mission is to send you into some hot zone with no chance of escape, and maybe you graduate if you survive. So, so I think the, you know, the implication in in the book is that their their mission is to to get into this environment and then escape. So it's a real mission, I d- and and I don't know if that it's a particularly satisfying mission. No, no. Mm. So the the confusion really really takes the the issue down a lot for me yeah i I don't think it's like a setup kind of mission with like joe's as the baddies as as you you suggested jay i think it is a they are in genuine peril but yeah you know the their actual the objectives of their mission are somewhat 
cloudy and and you know if it is just purely a training exercise get in there in this hostile environment and get get out with without trying to diet you know the, these are meant to be professional soldiers the best of the best you know it seems like putting them in unnecessary jeopardy like that is not you know would not be kind of an appropriate uh mission in, in yeah. of itself in 2003 paul jenkins has just written or is in the middle of writing an excellent run on uh, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, which is most of the first half of it is drawn by um, Mark Buckingham. And then the second half of it, when the book like relaunches, when I think the second Sam Raimi movie comes out, uh, the book relaunches with the new issue number one, and then Humberto Ramos is drawing it. So at this time, Getting and Paul Jenkins had uh, written based off of a like a plot by other people, Origin, which is now published as Wolverine Origin or Wolverine the Origin, which is a very pretty, very slow story that takes place in 1890 in Canada, and uh, which I can't help but like and sold a lot of a lot of comics um, <laughs> and, and kept GI Joe uh, issue one off of the uh, uh, top spot, I think. Oh um, right, right. Thank you for looping <laughs> us back on Wolverine. that. Okay, so um, so getting Paul Jenkins, whether it's for like a single issue to try out, you know, Gage's interest or it's like, well, I'm always taking on freelance or like, oh, I'd love to try and get into the devil's due talent pool. Uh, this this is exciting. And in the previous issue, the ad, the like back cover ad for this issue uh, says, you know, next issue, like Paul Origins uh, Jenkins. And he's a writer whose work I like. And uh, I have a very, very, very short list of writers who I would sort of approve to write G.I. Joe, to like take on a new version of G.I. Joe or to, to pick up the long running G.I. Joe, you know, that is affiliated with one writer in particular. And Paul Jenkins isn't on that list necessarily. But if you tossed his name out for me, I'd say, oh, well, he's smart. I think I'd, I'd give him a try. And this issue for me is not a deal breaker. It's like if Paul Jenkins had then like taken over, if he if he had been the third person in the Dan Jolly, Brandon Jurwa, uh, like fight to the death, I would have been very excited uh, had he been um, in that running. But I think to to Jay's point that that this this like loses a, a this gets taken down a notch for something not being clear. Um, but that said, compared to so many issues of Frontline. Uh, where um, this is uh, mostly a successful and satisfying single-issue story. It's not too broad. It's not silly. It's not, like, there's both, like, G.I. Joe action and stakes, but also, you know, these these two or three flashbacks that are funny, but also fill in the story. You know, like, this isn't, like, Beachhead goes home. Like we keep seeing this in Frontline where it's like, okay, a Joe is not a Joe yeah. and they've got their other job or their family. And, you know, when that happened a couple of years ago, there was a quick scene in the main G.I. Joe, a real American hero IDW book where we, we get a page about Spirit Iron Knife's parents. And I thought, awesome, right? And before that, we'd learned that Duke was married. And I thought, awesome. And it might not be fair because a certain writer long affiliated with G.I. Joe for me has much more leeway to invent new stuff for these characters to do when they're not Joes. And when these issues were the, in frontline where Joes aren't really being Joes, and I'm like, all right, just go back to being a Joe. Um, I'm glad I'm really grateful that this issue like what a relief. It's like, no, he's he's on a mission, even if it's not against Cobra. 
Can I, I touch on a point that you you sort of said earlier, Tim? It was I think you described them as being you know competent, something along those those lines. And and you know in, in the GI Joe stories that I like to see, I think you know the GI Joes are meant to be the best of the best. And when they do something silly, it irritates me because it sort of takes me out of it. Thinking you know if they're the best of the best, they shouldn't be doing or saying silly things. Um, you know, so for, so for example, earlier on in the Devil's Due Run, when the, the you know the GIJs are attacking and the and the green shirts are getting killed, you know, left, right, and center, sort of in amongst the the main Joes and stuff, that irritates me because you know they the, the Joes should be doing better than than that essentially, and 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 not letting their their green shirt colleagues be getting into those situations. Anyway, but that 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 aside, the uh, the thing that I'm looping back to is uh, early on in in the issue beachhead says something along the lines of the first rule of small arms combat marine know your enemy they're so poorly trained they couldn't shoot a barn from the inside you want to be a joe you got to think like a joe eyes up back straight and then yeah one of them gets shot in the leg um so so def they're definitely uh well better trained than uh than beachhead uh thinks so you know they can definitely they can shoot they could shoot a soldier's leg from some distance away. Uh, never mind the uh, the side of a barn. So um, that that slightly frustrated me that uh, Beachhead was so quickly proved uh, wrong about the capabilities of uh, their enemy. I'm going to point out two things with that those two panels uh, where uh, uh, think like a Joe, eyes up, back straight, and then where the guy gets shot. The the panel where Beachhead and the two green shirts are running at us is a perfect example for me of Tim Seeley's anatomical posing, not having enough tension. These three Joes look like they're jogging casually and there should be much more stress. More of their muscles should be taut and they should be running at us faster. And there are artists who uh, sort of specialized in this. There are artists who don't specialize in it, but can, you know, sort of pull it off. And there are artists who never really pull it off. Then the second panel, the actual panel where a bullet goes through <laughs> Joe's uh, green shirt's leg and he yells, yeah, um, the angle of the shot looks like the gun is like two feet behind him on the ground, pointing up at him. And it's a small thing, but I think we've established that these these the the bad guy mob which is chasing them they're like 30 or 100 or 200 feet behind them and unless there's some weird ricochet off the ground which i guess is possible uh that that bullet should be going through the joe sort of straight or uh, at an angle closer to horizontal yeah you're right and it looks like that's all in the coloring that white line of the bullet going in and the exit wound all, all look to be colors rather than drawn lines Um, but the but the but the exit wound you but that line is created from the angle of the height of the exit wound higher than the height of the uh enter wound entry wound yeah yeah yeah. i'm saying yeah you're absolutely right it's it's the wrong angle but i think the only thing that tim seeley drew was the entry wound the Mm. the the line of the bullet and the exit wound i think it just colors only Hmm. jay Look at all the dialogue on this page. This would take place in a few seconds. And Beachhead in the first paragraph is two great big word balloons. Second paragraph, two great big word balloons. Third paragraph, one of the guys is like, oh, because some very annoyed people are shooting at me, Sergeant Major. 
Mark said something about Joe's needing to act like Joe's. And that's a problem that I've had with a lot of the green shirts, Damon, Firewall, these people. None of these recruits ever act like people that would be considered for the best of the best. Um, you know, I mentioned with the, with the classified Duke, how his face sculpt looked like he just got out of college. G.I. Joe members should be like in their 30s, mid 30s, uh, because they've all got a lot of experience and they're not going to act like scared children uh, on a training exercise. And I mean, just just that the third the third panel, that guy saying all that stuff to Beachhead. And then, like you said, Tim, they're just jogging along. You're getting shot at. Seely's better in a lot of respects than he was, but there's a lot of things that, that, that are messed up. And I, and I made a joke about this in the plot breakdown. They run to this building that's clearly six stories tall. They get inside and they go on the elevator to like the 18th floor or something. <laughs> and it's like, what? You know, he says, why are we getting out on the 18th floor? Anyone? And I look back and I go, there, there's six stories in that building. How are, I mean. Excellent. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I was kind of surprised with a lot of the art because, you know, there isn't a lot that's better. Um, we, we've talked about Sealy using a lot of mid-level shots and not turning the camera. And he, he does that a lot more in here. For me, more of the problem with the art just, again, goes back to uh, like the character designs. I hate that all of the Joe recruits look like tripwire. Yeah. I mean, they should be wearing fatigues, uh, you know, flak jackets, that kind of thing. Not Tripwire's outfit. Beachhead's outfit is terrible. Their outfits are terrible. Ugh, it's. I do think in terms of green shirts, there's a missed opportunity in the whole Devil's Do run, at least on this in this issue where they're on a mission. They're not like taking laps at Joe HQ. They should all have like two or three things in their costumes that make them different from the other green shirts. Because that's going to be more fun for the artist to draw, a little fun for all of us, and easier for us to track, right? So, like, all that we have is that there's three guys, there's one, uh, excuse me, three white guys, one black guy, one woman, and there's some variety. Um, uh, number four, the sort of main character, his goggles are up, so we can see his eyes, right? And then the others are sort of more um, anonymous. Y you know, like, think of... um. Think of the beginning of Star Wars uh, Episode 7, when we first see Finn, the stormtrooper, before he takes his helmet off, right? It's like, how am I going to know to follow this one stormtrooper who looks like every other stormtrooper? Like, oh, there's a bloody handprint on his helmet. It's like, okay, I know which one we're going to follow. I, I, uh, to go back to um, the urgency here, like sort of talking a lot or being a little jokey um, and, and the poses, um, something else that I, I really picked up on when they get into the elevator and then after the flashback to the drill sergeant and when they come out of the elevator and this line this a uh, few pages later where where beachhead does say why are we getting out on the 18th floor anyone um there is some level of alert uh to their poses but in these pages uh in the elevator and just after they get off i feel like they they need to be holding their weapons much more sort of at the ready and on the elevator the green shirt that's all the way on the left i guess he's a lefty because he's not holding a weapon in his right hand right we can't see his left hand uh, i i need i need more 
fraught action concern, like wound up, coiled tightly tension. And uh, yeah, to go back to this previous, standing around. yeah, to go back to this previous point of, um, of uh, uh, is it a training mission or not? Those two uh, word balloons, when that Jay just pointed out, because some very annoyed people are shooting at me, Sergeant Major. They're the ones with the big guns over behind me, Sergeant Major. That's when I really thought, oh, is this a training mission? And then, you know, to uh, to Jay's point, um, Seely's layouts uh, have improved, uh, but this big half page of them on the elevator as a straight on sort of mid-level shot is like a small return to the uh, less dramatic, like sort of lacking any point of view, not emphasizing anything in particular Tim Seeley storytelling. Yeah, that's the Tim Seeley we know. <laughs> uh, but, but, I don't mind that panel. I think, you know, he's there looking bad and, and separated from the rest of uh, rest of the um team yeah. you know they're looking they're kind of looking at him like, so like son of a bitch yeah usob what have you done leaving that yeah. guy behind yeah i don't know i i i'm 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 fine with that with that panel there's many more panels like i said where he turns the camera you know and gives us a more interesting angle and i wondered like publication times you know he did the last two parts i think of the last stand and they were kind of underwhelming you had a lot of like you know just mid-level straight shots we pointed out in particular two instances where people kicked things in that arc that just were flat and there was a page in here where beachhead kicks the door down it was the one tim just pointed out where they got off the elevator that middle panel page nine is is much better than his other attempts with duke kicking a door down and cobra commander kicking serpentor off the tower it's it's better it's not great but it's it's more dynamic and i just wondered i was like well how is it that he's seems to be better at least with with the layouts and and poses and stuff here than in the last stand they couldn't have been any more than a few months apart either direction i think you're hitting the nail on the head because the ad on the inside back cover of this issue is for issue 25 Mm -hmm. so i think seeley spent a normal amount of time on this issue and Mm. then someone said Oh, we need you to help draw some of 24 and 25. Okay. Yeah, probably. And, and I think those were a rush. Probably right. But I think this issue then probably gives us a, a little better indication of what he's capable of. And, you know, we found his art underwhelming before. And this, yeah, I agree. It's probably not the best fit, but he's improving. Oh, I spy with my little eye. Have we got any uh, eye spies? I've used mine up already. I have an eye spy. On page seven, it's not Sergeant Slaughter. <laughs> but you're right. We're, we're kind of supposed to think it's Sergeant Slaughter because we, in the first panel, we see him from behind. He's he's much wider and he's taller than these other these green shirts. He's he looks from behind like Sergeant Slaughter, and then from the front, I kind of feel like Tim Seeley is thinking, "I'm going to draw Sergeant Slaughter, but I'll change two things so that it clears legal." So not the glasses and a, a different uh, mustache. And then I guess he's got uh, sort of graying um, sideburns. But this could both be sort of any uh, sort of brand new drill sergeant that we haven't seen in the world of G.I. Joe and not a reference to Sergeant Slaughter. But I kind of feel like wink, wink. It's like, well, this is as much Sergeant Slaughter as we can make it. Quote of the week, quote of the week. Quote of the week, quote of the week, quote of the week, quote of the week, quote of the week. 
is uh, <laughs> uh, my favorite line from this uh, issue is from page uh, 1, 10, 11, 12, the final panel. <laughs> the final panel. This, on the other hand, is a potato, uh, which works better in context where each head, each head I'll, I'll do the whole line. Yeah. I bet you don't think I got much more than the army in my head, huh? I bet you think old Beachhead ain't too clever. Well, anyone else would have you cleaned this place up with a toothbrush or something. This, on the other hand, is a potato. And then four continues it in narration. Potato, he made me clean the entire barracks with a freaking potato. And believe me, if anyone ever tells you to clean your house with a potato, it can't be done. <laughs> um, and that feels very much in keeping with the kind of uh, sort of impossible odds and stakes and like chores that we, is it issue 82 of a real American hero, the Ron Wagner cover a Viper behind repeater. And it's like a training mission uh, for three new Joe recruits. And some of them are washing out. Is that, that's the issue where Duke's going to send like the one who doesn't make the team to, uh, is it tool Tooley uh, Greenland T H U L E. But I, I, I sounds the, familiar. The, the potato thing is really funny to me because I don't know if Paul Jenkins had ever heard an actual army story or if he's like, I need to come up with something that just seems impossible, but you might experience in the military. Yeah, I was torn between two quotes for my favorite of uh, this issue. That one and uh, th this one in a in not too dissimilar vein. It's uh, it's Beachhead um, again, playing the, the tough, the tough drill sergeant. He's a, uh, I hate it when you maggots ain't got the sense to pay attention your first day. You, what do you say when I tell you the jump? I say, how high, Sergeant Major? You don't say a darn thing, idiot. You just jump. Now, get down and give me 50. <laughs> My favorite line was, again, another beachhead one, you know, busting somebody's chops. And it was not really a great line, but I, I did laugh because of the situation. They're in the middle of the firefight and page 18 and the guy's like, my gun's jammed. And Beachhead goes, you're an idiot. Drop and give me 50. <laughs> it's like, wow, man, we're in the middle of a firefight. <laughs> He's just like, you're an idiot. Drop and give me 50. It's like, damn, a hard teacher there. Yeah, there, uh, was, um, there was something, I can't remember where it's from, but um, it was a quote, something along the lines of, you, what do you see in the dictionary if you look up the word idiot? I suppose I see a picture of myself, sir. No. You see the definition of the word idiot, which is what you are. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Uh, I have a very, very small error detected. Error detected. Error detected. No prize incoming. Uh, I have a very small uh, error detected. On page 10, panel one, it's the silhouette panel where you see the green shirts um, zip lining from one building to the other with a night sky behind them. Like I said before, this is the narration. The Joe's idea of a training mission is to send you into some hot zone. Uh, Joe is plural, and possessive plural has the uh, apostrophe coming after the S. Ooh, there's a nitpick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's uh, let's give this bad boy some yo-jo scoring. I'll 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 go first for a change. I think so. Um, this one, I think I generally I like this in the fact that we've got a, a spotlight on Beachhead. I think um, a lot of the story is 
good. The the dialogue in in a lot of places is uh, is good as well. From you know us picking out some of the our favourite quotes. The the art I think is is generally pretty strong. Good storytelling looks nice. The the colouring is 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 pretty good for for Devil's Due particularly. And but it, I think it's let down by just two key points. Just the motivation for the mission there on could be a little bit clearer or stronger. And that, that aspect of leaving the man behind just really stuck for me. I think if they just had it, something along the lines of it just being much more obvious that he was bit left behind and there was no way of them rescuing him at that particular moment in time versus it just seemingly be that, that they were just leaving him behind just to be uh, hard cases, whatever. I, th- I think that would have know helped the the story that look we can't rescue him now he, you know he's he's beyond help but we will rescue him down the down the line uh, that would have worked better for me so probably for me this is uh like a six and a half you know with with those points being remedied it would have been higher is uh i guess beachhead is ambidextrous because he is holding his weapon in his left hand in many panels, but in a few of them, he's holding his weapon in his right hand. It's because um, he's a badass. Yeah, uh, I had one more uh, uh, nitpick, which I'll, I'll file under, like, sort of good art, bad art, which is uh, um, sort of as, as how I'm torn on Tim Seeley uh, here. And that is uh, page 16, panel 6 beachhead smiles and there's this weird thing that a bunch of marvel artists have been doing for the last 15 years which i don't think you can actually pull off which is when you are wearing this kind of mask if you smile somehow the people who are looking at you can tell that you're smiling because the like fabric of your deadpool mask or your beachhead mask is like wrapped so tightly that like the very small movement of your cheek muscles creating a smile like molds against anyway i give this a five the story doesn't entirely work out but it's a it's a very good attempt the art is there's a lot of appeal to it and this is like the minimum this is the minimum of what all of the devils do you know art uh should have been you know like if if Seely at this level had drawn issue one of the main monthly book uh, i i would have still had a problem with it but much less and um, so uh, I give this a five. This story for me leaves a lot to be desired. You know, between the the, the artist being miscast and questions um, with the story, you know, Beachhead's motivation, what's the plan, how much is real, how much is not real. Those are pretty fundamental things for me. And I mean, I read this twice and I still was like confused about, uh, you know, how, how real this situation was or, or how not it was. I've mentioned what Tim called Jay's metric a couple episodes back, uh, which really is is Chief's metric, that uh, anything um, five or above means I don't regret reading it and I might want to read it again. I've read this one once. I'll never go back to it again. Uh, I have no interest in reading it. Uh, It was just a miss for me on on many levels. So I'm, I'm giving it a four. Oof. All right. Yeah. Let's talk about issue 18. Warning team, as the sands of time descend, temporal disruption has set in, and it is here that we must leave our brave adventurers, Mark, Jay, and Tim. 
Remain patient as we will pick up where we leave them in part two of our Frontline episode, as we dig into the detail of the next issue, 18. Join us, if you dare. 